Good morning. While they're getting our chairs set up, uh, I think they ask us to speak on marriage because we've been married a really long time. <laughs> uh, 49 and counting <laughs> years. Uh, but before we start, can I uh, just lead us in prayer? Would you just close your eyes and kind of take a deep breath? Draw a circle around yourself and the Lord. He's here to meet you. And just ask him to give you what you need today through this word. Whether you're married, divorced, widowed, single, in a relationship, not in a relationship, God has a word for you. And would you just say, Lord, I want your word today. So, Lord, we uh, know that your spirit is powerful, and we ask your spirit to come as you already have, but come in a fresh way and speak the word of Jesus Christ to our hearts today. In your name, amen. Am, am I? Yes, I'm on. You're on. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, we, like I said, we've been married uh, 49 plus years, and so we've called this How to Have a Happy Marriage for Half a Century or More. <laughs> And uh, we are hoping for a lot more. And I thought I'd start by showing you where it all began. <laughs> we were babies. <laughs> we were truly babies. Yeah, they called him Chops. Uh, because, and that's what he looked like when I met him. That is our engagement picture. And, uh, and, so, and then I thought I'd show you one more picture. Somehow, pastors in their 40s decide mustaches are a good thing. So this is, this no, is no. us at the no, same age not... as Robert and Stephanie. So I thought you'd I got to clarify, that's not exactly how it happened. She wanted me to have a mustache. <laughs> that's true. And that's the, true. the day she said I could take it off, it went off that day. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. True story. Uh, so I, but I showed you that picture of our uh, engagement because I wanted to, I thought I wanted to bring you all the way back to the beginning and I'm going to begin by telling you about our first fight. And uh, we're going to end with a two-week-old, uh, I'm not going to call it a fight because it wasn't, it was a healthy conflict, but this was a fight. And uh, so we were dating, and we uh, went to my parents' house. My mom's right here on the front row, if you don't know Betty. And uh, so we went to visit my parents with some friends, and we were just having a fun weekend. We went down to Balboa Park, and, we, and I don't know, if they, do they still have the carousel in Balboa Park? Yeah, okay. So we went, and I wanted to ride the carousel, and I just said, let's ride the carousel. And Joe said, nah, I'm not, I don't want to ride that. And um, so I come from a long line of Danes, and what we do when we aren't happy is we pout. And so I went into a pout. Just for the record, I should have said yes, just to clarify, okay. <laughs> He's learning now yeah, after 49 yeah, yeah. years. Uh, that would have been a yes if it was last week. But anyway, we, we um, went home, and uh, we had dinner, and my pout went to sarcasm. So then I began to just find little ways. I can't remember because it's, you know, 50, more than 50 years, but I know I began jabbing at him uh, rather than just saying something. And at some point, he said... Um, can I see you outside? 
And this kind, gentle, quiet guy that everybody loves, it was like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And we get outside, and he said, what is wrong with you? And my eyes got real big. I honestly did not know what to say. And we had a little of a conversation. And then he said, if you don't stop this, I'm leaving and we're done. I don't think he even remembers this story. No, I remember. (laughs) He probably remembers it different, but he doesn't have time to tell his side right now. (laughs) No, I don't have a side. <laughs> but uh, your you side know, is my side. Okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's learned. <laughs> anyway, uh, obviously we did work it through. But I wanted to tell that story because I thought a lot as we've been preparing for this message. I thought, you know, what would I tell that teenage girl? Because I was still a teenager when when that happened. What would I tell her about marriage now? And, you know, the list is long, and Joe and I talked about this. We have pared down and pared down and pared down and pared down, and, we, you know, we have a very short amount of time to try to get a lot of stuff. So we've just cut it down to what we think are the three most important points. And I get to start with what is the most important point, which is that marriage has an incredible purpose. And you have to know the why of marriage to have a good marriage. And the why of marriage is the same why God has for everything. And we find it in Isaiah 43, 7, where he says, Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And then it's repeated in Colossians 1, 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so the, the incredible purpose of marriage... Sorry. <laughs> Changed my mind. Okay. The incredible purpose of marriage is the glory of God. And I know if you're like me, when I used to hear that, I thought that meant, okay, I've got to figure out how to be a really good Christian so God gets glorified. But that actually isn't what I mean by that. God created this world to put his beauty and wonder, his character and his ways on display. And the apex of that creation was human beings that he made in his image, And he made us to be here and fill this world with the beauty and wonder of who he is. And if that's the reason he does everything, then somehow he created marriage because he decided that there's a certain relationship that can put his glory on display in a way that nothing else can. And that's marriage. And one of the first things that will do for you when you really begin to live for that why is you will see your spouse in a different way because your spouse is a glory bearer. And you will begin to want to bring out the gold in that glory rather than what we tend to do in our natural uh, selves is think of all the things they don't do right. And I, I, uh, in our very early years, uh, I wanted Joe to be a certain way. And I think it's because all of us as women, we grow up with these fairy tales. And so I wanted Joe to be a, what I would 
thought at that time was a romantic. And a romantic was somebody who did these romantic things, brought flowers and chocolates and all these things that, we, that I saw in the movies. And um, so I, that's kind of what I had in my mind. And then one night we had dinner with a couple and we were in seminary and we had dinner with a couple and the guy was somebody I had dated in high school who was a true romantic. And so uh, we were having dinner, Joe knew him, and I, we were having dinner, and we got into this conversation about housework. I don't even know how it led there, but it became very clear that this guy did not believe in doing housework. And Joe and I at the time were both getting our master's degrees, and we basically split the housework in half. He did half, and I did half. And he cleaned toilets. And this guy said, I would never still, clean still a do. toilet. And he still cleans toilets. But on the way home, it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. But, and this is really, I, this is a mantra I've lived by. I'd rather have a guy that cleans toilets than a guy that brings me chocolates any day of the week. Now, <laughs> now it's still good, to, better to do both. He, I have to say, he brings me chocolates. He brings me flowers. That's something he, he grew in. But at the time, but my while. point, here's what... <laughs> Here's my point. I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, that's what I need. A husband will do that. Because what I want to say is your spouse is a glory bearer in the way God made them to be a glory bearer. And God just made Joe to be a servant. And if you know him at all, you know that. And that's how he bears God's glory. And so you come to appreciate that glory. So that's one of the things that that does for you. So marriage is a way for God to put his glory on display. You know, God only made one negative statement in creation, and it was this one. It is not good for man to be alone. And what, that's the second thing about God putting his glory on display is that God displays his glory. And this is, this is for everybody here. Through community in a way he cannot do through us as individuals. And why God is a community. He's Father, Son, and Spirit in a community of love and joy. So if he's going to put that on display, he can't do it through individuals. He has to do it through relationships. And so whatever relationships you're in, what this all applies. But marriage is such a unique way for God to show that community is beautiful, and it shows who God is. And that's the incredible purpose of marriage. And I want to say one more thing is God's glory is not in opposition to your joy. In fact, if God gets glory, you get joy. He created it to be two sides of a coin. And so marriage is incredible. God's incredible purpose is for his glory, but it's also for your joy. All right. Amen to that. Okay, I get to give the point, which is marriage is meant to be amazing. Now, when I say that, I'm guessing some go, huh, I have to think about that. You may not feel that way, but what we, what we would all say, but that's the point. Marriage is, is amazing. Now, we all would say that marriage is, it, we know it's huge. We know the whole marriage relationship is this massive thing. All you have to do is go back to creation, and you discover that. I mean, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and so he did. He, just with his spoken word, he made everything in the skies, all the, all the birds and the, the planets and everything, all, everything up in the skies. He made everything on the earth, all the, all the vegetation, all the plants, all the trees, all the animals. Everything was there. He made everything. And then on the sixth day, of course, he made man. He made Adam. 
And, you know, I, I don't know if I hadn't seen this before. I probably have, but I never really paid that much attention until I was kind of preparing for this. And as you look at the, the, the account in Genesis, the indication is, and you may have already known this, I probably heard it, but never gave it any thought, that Adam named all the animals before Eve came along. I never really saw it. You look at the text, that's what it does seem to indicate. And so imagine, I don't know how that happened. In fact, it says that God brought all the animals to him. So I don't know if he set up on some big rock or up on a tree or on a, on a log or what, but God brings all the animals to him. And so this big old thing with the trunk comes on. He says that's, you know, he calls that an elephant. He sees this furry thing that roars. That's, an, that's a lion. And he names, I mean, all the creatures, large and small. He names everything. And then the Bible says that God put Adam to sleep, and he pulled a rib out of his side, and then he created Eve. And now just, just to me, so he's asleep. He wakes up, and he looks, just think about this, he looks over, and there she is. Just imagine what that would have been like, because, again, he's already seen all the other animals, and he looks over, and yes, just don't go very far, but yes, they're in their birthday suit. He looks over there, and he sees her, and then he says these very unromantic words, at least to me unromantic, this at last is one bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. doesn't sound real romantic to me necessarily. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of them. But I love it says that at last. It's like finally, and bone of my bone, what all that means, flesh of my flesh, we're not sure what all it means, but mainly it's saying, here's someone like me. So he's saying, finally, at last, after all these animals, here's someone that's kind of like me. And then God performs the very first wedding ceremony. I love to say that Marriage is God's idea. Mankind is, you know, we ought to do this thing called marriage. God invented the whole idea of marriage. And so he performs the very first wedding ceremony, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what all that one flesh means, we don't know for sure. But at the very least, it means that it will be, the marriage relationship is to be the most intimate relationship of all relationships. You're close to your kids if you have them. You're close to your parents. You're close to friends. But there is no relationship that has the intimacy that the marriage relationship has. And so here's the point we need to see is that as civilization is launched from the get-go, from the jump, the union between the man and a woman in that marriage relationship is to be the foundation of civilization. Therefore, when that begins to crumble, everything crumbles. And we're seeing, of course, a lot of crumbling. So you see that at the beginning, and then you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, and what's the big event that takes place at the end of Revelation? The marriage supper of the Lamb, new heaven, new earth, Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his bride has made herself ready. There's something about, the, I like to call it Trish, not just my wife, I like to call her my bride. There's something about that. And we are called the bride of Christ. And I would say, and many would say, that the most important metaphor, there are many metaphors in terms of our relationship with Christ, but the most important, the most significant, the most telling metaphor. That, that we are to look at to see what our relationship with Christ is to be like is the relationship between the husband and the wife. So that's the beginning. That's the end. One more verse I want to throw in in Ephesians chapter 5, the definitive verse on, on, on marriage in the whole Bible. Verse 31, I won't be up there, but this is, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two 
shall become one flesh. Then there's those words, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, what that means is this, is that the closest thing on earth to our relationship with Christ is that between the husband and the wife. Now, so, so we, you know, we, we know, we know that the relationship between us and Christ is, is amazing, that it's to be this life-giving, fulfilling, joy-filled relationship. And in the same way, our relationship in marriage is to be this amazing, wonderful, life-giving, joy-filled experience. And I think to some extent, we in, in instinctively know this. And in fact, you know, even as you look at the wedding ceremony, it's like we, that we start off with this amazing, wonderful event. I mean, we spend tens of thousands of people nowadays, spend tens of thousands, you know, anybody's been married recently, not just thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on weddings. I asked Trish, how much do we spend on our wedding? Anybody have a guess? Just throw a couple figures out. About 500 bucks. Yeah, really. I mean, I won't go into why it was so cheap. And we had 300 people there. Our deal was the more people can come, the more gifts we have. So that's, I still suggest that. So we had it at our church, and we didn't pay our pastor, and we had finger foods, and her, his mom, her mom made the cake, and a friend made the wedding gown, and we paid 100 bucks for tux. It was, I mean, 100 bucks, 5 bucks, out the door. We were married. It's shiny, yes. Okay, so I got to get carried away with that. But I think, you know, this shows that, that, that we, it should show that we realize how amazing marriage should be, but, but I would suggest otherwise, because all that, t- listen to this, all of that time and money, check this out, all of that time and money is spent on the wedding, but very little time and preparation is spent on the marriage, correct? In fact, I, I tell uh, couples, I tell parents whose their kids are getting married, you're going to spend $20,000, dollars $30,000 on the wedding, spend $2,000 on marriage counseling for them before they go. That is worth the investment. So what I would say is our vision of weddings is huge, but our vision of marriage is too small. Um, some of you know that as we were, as I was getting out of being a lead pastor for three decades, I began to say, what should I do? And all kinds of people, I want to do something different. Not quite, didn't quite get there, but I want to do something different. And, and uh, everybody said, Joe, you should do life coaching. I said, was that a thing? I didn't know it was a thing. So I looked into it. Sure enough, it was. So I went through this whole process and training and, and certification process and got into it. But, and I discovered, I've discovered something in life coaching that you would have thought that I would have seen as a pastor, and that is that most people settle for okay or pretty good. And then we do that in the marriage relationship. We kind of settle for okay. We have a pretty good marriage. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it's okay. And nothing, there's no place where that's more destructive than in the marriage relationship. So let me, let me just close this point here with this. I'm going to share probably the most helpful, the most instructive thing I ever heard on marriage. Some pastor threw this out kind of as a, I think as a throwaway, but I grabbed a hold of it decades ago, and here's what he said. He said, my wife and I have a fantastic marriage. And he said, we have a fantastic marriage. And I thought, you thought he would have said, because every Friday we go on dates or once a year we go away for, you know, several days just on a new honeymoon or, you know, we make sure we, we don't let conflicts go and settle. That's what I thought he would say, but here's all he said. He said, my wife and I have a fantastic marriage. And then he said, here's why, because we won't settle for anything less 
than a fantastic marriage. And that's what's intended to be. God wants the marriage to be this absolutely amazing relationship. And that's the beautiful point, and I get to have our last point, which is it takes work. (laughs) And it takes work not just in the beginning. It was a lot more work in the beginning, but we're still working at it because we don't want to settle for anything less than what God has for us. And there's uh, three quick points on this, and this is, first of all, marriage depends, and other relationships also depend on sacrificial love. There are days when sacrificial love is the only thing that will get you through. When you will make a choice to live as Jesus did and to lay down your life. And I want to very quickly say, uh, if there is abuse in a situation, I am not talking to you because if there's abuse, you need to get some help. But I'm talking in a normal marriage where there's not abuse Sacrificial love on both parts is the only way we're going to make it. And it's the only thing we have to hold on to. And then the second thing is that marriage uh, depends on dying to our false selves. Now, the Bible calls it the old man or the flesh, but I like to call it the false self because I think we need to change our perspective and stop thinking that there's, there's this old person that had all the fun. And we have to die to that and then live to this new person who's trying to be holy. Because I believe that old person isn't who God created us to be. It's a false self, it's, and it's not who we want to be. And so marriage says, I'm going to die to that person, that person that wants to be selfish, that wants to have my way, that wants to take offense. That's not who I want to be. So I will die to that. And that takes a daily dying And that leads to the third point, which is that marriage helps transform us into our true selves. This, I believe, is one of God's greatest gifts in marriage, as hard as it is. is, uh, We had an old preacher we used to listen to. He called it heavenly sandpaper. (laughs) And so we are, our spouses are heavenly sandpaper, rubbing off the edges that don't look like Jesus. And so that is a blessing. And if we could just embrace that, it would make our life so much easier and our marriages so much better. But it is hard work to do that. Yeah, let me just, I want to insert, Trish has more to say, but I want to insert this. Um, remember years ago, I, I read, an art, years ago, read an article where they had done some research and, um, and they, they discovered, massive research, they discovered if you want to know how healthy a marriage is, don't talk to the husband. Talk to the wife. Husband say, oh, it's okay. We're doing okay. You talk to the wife, oftentimes you get a story. And I just want to say, husbands, that, that is not how it needs to be. Guys, we, and what Trish just shared, guys, we have to take the lead with this. Ephesians 5 says that we are to be the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And unfortunately, husbands have used that as kind of a, a kind of leverage to try and dominate. That's not what it means. If anything, it means that if anybody in the marriage needs to, we both need to care about this, but as husbands, if anyone needs to have our finger on the pulse of our marriage, it needs to be us. And then we need to be the ones to lead into getting the help that we need. I can't tell you how more times than not, when, a, when, a, when, when there was a marriage difficulty, it was the wife who came and saw me. Rarely first, it was the wife. Rarely was the husband. And at times, I had the wife say, 
My, my husband can't know that I'm here. Husbands, we need to be the first ones who are pursuing what the marriage relationship needs to be. So, uh, and so we thought we would end, since I started telling about a fight, I'm going to end by telling about healthy conflict that went a lot better than that first fight. And this is fresh. It's just a couple of weeks old. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, we actually have a tool that we use and we teach and we create it. We teach it in the School of Leadership. And by the way, little plug for the School of Leadership, we have a handful of slots left and we're gonna be out there uh, and we'd love to talk with you about it. But we really, it's a school of self-leadership. It's how can you be the person you wanna be because that's who God wants you to be. And uh, so anyway, this is the tool and I'm gonna walk through this little conflict we had. Uh, so Joe and I, every morning that we can, after we have our FaceTime, we have a little time, just five minutes, ten minutes of prayer together for our day. And we share what we're doing and get our calendars and then we pray. And um, so th then we both go on our way. So one morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he came in and he said, we got a problem. And I said, what? And he said, well, that thing we're it's supposed to... not a good way to start a conversation about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he said, that thing we were going to do together uh, on the, in, in a, you know, next month, I can't go. I have these tickets to the Padres game. <laughs> Big problem. Big yeah, it problem. Never, it wasn't a way to start the conversation. Well, huh? oh, you wanna... I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> he wants to tell his side. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you, no, no. No, I was just inserting something silly. Go ahead. Okay. Anyway, so... Um, but so we began, this is kind of how it went. We were like, uh, and, and they're really good tickets. And I'm just like, and so he said, okay, can, can at some point he said, can you pray? And I said, no, I can't pray. And I said, but I'll tell you what, I, I love you and I got to go to the gym and when I get back, we'll talk. And that's one of the first things about conflict. It's okay to give yourself some space before you try to process. Uh, because I knew I, I wasn't even in a good place to pray, much less talk about how I felt about this. So I went to the gym. He went on his walk. And uh, all the way there, I did the next thing you need to do, which is I dealt with my own stuff. So I'm like, God, what is this triggering in me? There is something. That, that, this is bigger than just that decision. And I you know, repented, and, um, and that's kind of the first, uh, we'll, we'll show our little picture here. Uh, our, the first thing on, in a healthy conflict is on this side. I don't know if you can see that, so I'm going to get up, come over here. Uh, the first thing is being teachable. So the, the, there's a balance in healthy conversation, in challenging conversations between being teachable, meaning you want to know what the other person is feeling and experiencing, and being authentic. You want to be real with what you're experiencing, and you're, so it's this scale, right? So uh, this is, so we, we were, I, I went to the gym, and I did all my own stuff, and then I'm on the way home, and I'm thinking, I still don't know quite how to have this conversation, and I remembered this tool, and <laughs> we, we should use these tools, so the first thing you do is explore on the teachable side, so you, so I went, I got home, and Joe said, do you, do you want to start, or do you want me to start, and I said, I want to start, I want to know why this, is, this game is so important to you. Now, I know all the man reasons, but, but this was more than that. I knew that he was, so I said, I just want to hear about this game. So then he starts telling me about how he had invited our oldest son, and they were, they'd already planned to go. I did not know that. And then he's tearing up and telling me about 
he doesn't get those kinds of times with our son. So basically, the discussion was, at that point, I was totally on board with him. We didn't even need to finish this thing, but we did. (laughs) So uh, you explore. So you listen and ask lots of questions, okay? That's the explore. Then you echo, and echoing is really a form of empathy, and it isn't like we learned how to do active listening with our kids and say back what they say. It's really trying to understand where are they coming from, And how can I share that back with them so they know they've been seen and they've been heard? Okay, that's what echoing is about. And then we moved to the other side. So we did all that, and uh, he shared his heart. And then when we moved to the other side, we we get to explore echo, and then we have, put it up there, sorry, respond. (laughs) And so then um, you respond with authenticity, So he had shared a lot of stuff. And again, I'm getting to tell my side of it. But uh, I said, you know, okay, that's great. Then we begin to talk about some ways we could resolve this. But first I said, uh, I I forget what I said. What did I say when I responded? In that conversation? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hitting a All I knew is I get to go to my game. That's all. (laughs) Oh, yeah, here's what I did. I was authentic, and I said, here's what I wish you had done different. I said, first of all, I wish you hadn't brought it up when we had five minutes, and we didn't. And then second of all, I wish you hadn't brought it up as it was a done deal. Deal with it. And he didn't have that spirit, but that's how I felt, right? And so I said, I just wish you'd said something like, I don't know what we're going to do. Can you help me? Here's this problem. I guarantee I would have responded, you need to go to the game. But because it felt like I was shut out, so I gave him that. And then we worked towards a solution that involved him being able to be with me for almost the whole event and only missing a little part of it. And that's how we resolved our healthy conflict. So (laughs) we've come a long ways in 49-plus years. (laughs) Okay, so I get to close with the best point, which is it's worth it. Two, again, two, two anecdotes. One, several years ago, we were still at, I was still pastoring at New Hope, uh, an elderly, I say elderly, I'm almost his, how old he was, so he was, he was about 75. I'm not there yet, I just turned 70. And he came by himself, and, um, and I, at some point, I did what I liked, hey, let's grab coffee. And so I heard what happened is that several years earlier, his wife had had a massive stroke where she was an invalid, she had very little cognitive ability, didn't really even hardly recognize him, so she was in a care facility, and every day he went to see her, and he would sit there with her and just hold her hand and be with her, and I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing he would do that, because she hardly even knew he was there, but there she went, there he went, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he's just praying, Lord, just take her home. I'm glad I didn't say that because that would have been a big mistake. Cause I said, so how is that for you? And here's what he said. I'll never forget this. He said, if that's all I get, I'll take it as long as I can have it. And I thought, wow, that is the residue of a wonderful relationship. And then one more little anecdote. I don't know where I got this, but I mean, I know where I got part of it. When I was an older uh, teenager, I always, I guess like most older guys, I wanted to get married and thought that'd be a great thing. In fact, my 
idea was to get married. I thought 25 was the perfect age. As it turned out, I got married, met her. I got married a week after I turned 21, so I didn't make it to 25, but that's fine. But I also, along with that, even as an older teenager, I had this image in my mind. I don't know where I got this. I had this image in my mind that a wonderful marriage, would, it was this image of an older couple sitting out on a porch in a love seat on one of these swings that go back and forth. And that was for, I don't know where I got this. That was my image of a wonderful marriage. And here's what I can tell you. As we move into our 50th year of marriage, we don't have a porch, we don't have a swing. (laughs) But I can tell you this, it is as wonderful or more wonderful than I even imagined. It It is worth it. And I agree. And she agrees. So... We're going to close this in prayer. I'd like for the, uh, the prayer teams, if you would, come on up. 